Once more, let me say good morning to you guys. It's good that you're here. Um, Obviously, it's a holiday weekend. A lot of people are up at the mountains. A bunch of others are down at the lake. But it's good that you're here. And Cassie, I want to personally thank you for bringing your entourage today. Because if you hadn't, we'd really be bare, especially over in that section. So it's good to have all of you guys here as well. It is the 4th of July weekend, which means that camp sessions are about to start. The first session will start on Tuesday. And then it will be camp after camp after camp after that for the entire month of July going into the 1st of August. And I would really like to ask all of you to be in prayer about those camps up at Ponderosa. Uh, Be praying for the kids who will be there. Be praying for the staff. Just pray that that those camp sessions will be sessions that will really lift God's name up, that he will be glorified, and that young lives will be touched and drawn closer to their God. So if you would do that, I would really appreciate it. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. Father, we thank you for bringing us together on this busy holiday weekend. And Father, help us to to put aside all of the the events and activities, all the things that are going on, and help us to focus just on you and your word and your kingdom. And Father, it has been a tremendous privilege to be able to to look at Jesus' parables. Uh, Father, we... Uh, want to always be deeply embedded in what our Lord and our Master has said to us about His kingdom and about what it's like to live in His kingdom. And Father, we pray that today you will help us to put ourselves into this story, Father, so that we can see what kind of God we truly have. And Father, I just pray that you'll bless every person here. Father, help them to draw closer to each other and closer to you. And we pray this through Jesus, who is the Lord. Amen. Well, we are continuing with our series of kingdom stories. And each week we're listening to one of Jesus' parables. And we're trying to listen as if Jesus is speaking directly to us. As if we are a part of that first century audience hearing Jesus' words directly from his mouth. And unlike the last couple of weeks, today we're not in a large crowd We're not among thousands. We're in a much smaller group as we're listening to Jesus. Instead of a tremendous variety of people in this audience, we're a group of followers. We're a group of disciples. We are Jesus' students. We're all individuals who have made a strong commitment to going where Jesus goes and to doing what Jesus says. And we're a small group of people who has been following and watching and listening to Jesus for some time now. We aren't new on this scene. In fact, we've recently witnessed Jesus interact with a wealthy young man. He's a religious man, and he looks like a prime candidate to join our group. But then Jesus seems to scare him away by telling him this, Matthew 19, 21. Jesus looked at the young man, and he said, If you want to be perfect... Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And then after we watch that young man sadly walk away from Jesus and walk away from his kingdom, Jesus told us, this small group of followers, how difficult it is for rich people to leave behind their stuff so that they can truly follow him. And then Peter blurted out a statement, and Peter asked a question, and it was a question that was on the minds of most of us. Peter said, what about us? What about this group of followers? How about this group of people who have left everything to follow you? What is there going to be for us? 
And in reply, Jesus did what Jesus often does. He told a story. He told a kingdom story. This parable that Jesus tells is in response to that young man who wasn't willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. But it's also in response to this group who asks this question, what is there for us? What is there going to be for those of us who have left everything in order to follow you? And because of what just happened with that wealthy young man, and because of that question that Peter has just asked, what will there be for us? The subject on everyone's mind is rewards, specifically kingdom rewards. See, we all want to know, what are the benefits of choosing to follow Jesus? We want to know, is it going to be worth it? We want to know, did we make a wise decision to leave everything and follow Jesus? We want to know, would maybe we have been better off if we had just followed that wealthy young man's example and cling to everything we have and not follow. And in this story, we'll hear Jesus continue to teach us that his kingdom is different. His kingdom is different than any other kingdom. And we're going to hear Jesus teach us that the rewards of living in his kingdom are different than the rewards found in any other kingdom. And we'll also see that while this story is usually referred to as the parable of the workers, Jesus' focus really isn't on the workers. Jesus' focus is on their employer. The focus is on the landowner. The focus is on the master. The focus of this parable is on our God. This is a parable all about God. It's all about his nature And it's all about what it's like to live in his kingdom. So let's listen to Jesus and let's learn about our God. Matthew 20, beginning with verse 1. He said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. That would have been about 6 a.m. He went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. That was a normal day's wages. And once he agreed to pay them a normal day's wages, he sent them into his vineyard. Then about the third hour, which would have been about 9 a.m., he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace, and they were doing nothing. So he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. Then he went out again about the sixth hour, that would have been about noon. Then he went again at the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., and he did the same thing. And then about the 11th hour, around 5 p.m., he went out and he found others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Well, because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, well, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, quitting time, 6 p.m., the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them, pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius, a full day's pay. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work And the heat of the day. But he answered them, answered one of them, Friend, 
I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. If I want to give the man who has hired the last the same as I gave you, don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Well, like many of Jesus' parables that we're looking at, this story is very familiar to us. In fact, it's so familiar that we may miss the fact that this parable is just full of surprises. It's full of characters acting in unexpected ways. And for us to really understand this story the way Jesus intended for us to understand the story, to really appreciate what Jesus is telling us about our God, we need to understand the surprises of this parable. And the first surprise happens immediately. It happens immediately when the landowner doesn't send one of his employees to do the hiring. And instead, he takes on the task of hiring himself. See, as Jesus tells this story, we would know that this landowner that he's talking about is a powerful man. He's a wealthy man. He's an influential man. And he's an extremely busy man. And he's also a man who has numerous personal and permanent servants under his command. This is harvest time. This is his busiest time of the year. So we have to ask, what is the landowner doing? What's he doing at the street corner at 5 p.m.? That doesn't really make a whole lot of logical sense, does it? What is he doing there at 6 a.m. when he has flunkies, when he has people who work for him and can do this kind of work? See, we need to understand that the landowner's situation, the landowner's status in life is very different. It's in sharp contrast. It's very sharp contrast with the men that he's looking to hire. See, today we would call those men day laborers. These were men on the margins of survival. They were the peasant sons who had not received any land from dad. They were people who didn't have steady work. And every day these men would congregate on a street corner hoping, just hoping for a day job, hoping somebody would come by and hire them for the day, hoping to make one day's wages to support themselves and support their families for one day. The landowner and these laborers were from very different ends of the social and economic and political spectrum. And the thought that the landowner would make one trip to the street corner to pick up day laborers is very surprising. But the fact that he would make five trips in a single day, that's not just surprising, that's shocking. It's also surprising that that second group that was hired and that third group that was hired and that fourth group that was hired, they all agree to work for whatever is right. There's no agreement on wages. Unlike that first group who agreed to work for a denarius for a day's wages, the second and the third and the fourth group agree to work just for what is right. The landowner is saying, I'll do right by you. And the workers eagerly jump at that chance because they trust his word. They trust that he will do what is right. But even more surprising than that is what happens with the fifth And final group, the group that's hired with just one hour to go in the work day. See, they go to work with no promise of pay at all. No promise even that the the landowner will do what is right. There are no assurances and they still just jump in and they go to work. And this landowner, 
he goes to the corner and he goes again and again and again. And he's even back there at five o'clock. And that doesn't really make any logical sense at all, does it? There's only one hour left in the workday. Do you really think that the best workers would still be on the street corner? Wouldn't they be somewhere else working in someone else's vineyard? And you would assume that anyone who hadn't secured work by this time of the day, they would have given up. They would have gone on home. They wouldn't still be hanging out at the street corner hoping for work. And when you think about it, what could a group of workers really accomplish in an hour anyway? But there they are. And there the landowner is looking to put them to work. And then at the end of the day, there are more surprises. The landowner surprises everybody by paying the workers in reverse order. See, we would expect for him to pay those who had worked the longest and those who had worked the hardest, for him to pay them first, and then finally end up with those who had just worked for an hour. And if this story was told in the way that we would expect, there would be tension and there would be anticipation. We would have tension and anticipation, wondering what is the landowner going to do with each of these workers? What is he going to pay them? What does he consider is right? We'd wonder, what's that second group going to get? What's the third group going to get? What's the fourth group going to get? Especially, what's that fifth group going to get? Because we already would know what the first group had been promised. We would be wondering, once the first workers get their denarius, what will the landowner consider to be fair pay for those who worked three hours less than they did? And what does he consider to be fair pay for those who worked six hours less And how about those who worked nine hours less? And how about those who only worked for one hour? What's fair? And that last group, will they get anything at all? But instead of doing that, the landowner pays in reverse order, and we're immediately shocked. Immediately shocked when that first group that only worked one hour, they get a full day's pay. They get 12 hours worth of pay when they've only worked one And then our shock continues as each group receives a full day's pay. Until everyone's been paid and they all received exactly the same wages. There is one thing about this story that doesn't surprise us. What doesn't surprise us is that the men who worked the longest and the men who worked the hardest and the men who worked under the glaring midday sun, they get paid the same wages and they immediately complain. They immediately complain that they've been unfairly treated, and that doesn't surprise us. And that doesn't surprise us because most of us would feel and probably act exactly the same way. We're all sensitive to issues of fairness, and we're sensitive to issues of justice, especially when it comes to how we're treated. And it only seems fair, and it only seems just that when we work harder and when we work longer than others, our reward should be bigger and our reward should be better than what they got. See, that's what we would expect to happen in this world. In fact, that's what we would demand to happen in this kingdom. But Jesus isn't talking about this kingdom that we live in. Jesus is talking about his kingdom. He's talking about God's kingdom. And this kingdom story makes it very clear that our master's kingdom works differently than the kingdoms of this world. And the reason 
that our master's kingdom works differently than the kingdoms of this world is because our master is different than the masters of this world. And he works differently than they do. Our master isn't constrained by the logic of this world. Our master isn't limited by the expectations of this world. Our master isn't bound by the conventions of this world. Our master is different, and so is his kingdom. And unlike the masters of this world, our master doesn't remain aloof. He doesn't send a flunky to go and do his work. He doesn't do that because our master is compassionate. Our master is so compassionate that he himself goes to the hurting. And that's really the Jesus story, isn't it? God in human form came to those who were hurting. Jesus came to this earth to seek out and to save those who couldn't make it on their own. To seek and save those with an uncertain future. To seek and save those with no land to call their own. In other words, Jesus came to invite everyone. He came to invite all of us into his kingdom where everything will be made right. And our master's compassion compels him to keep checking the corner. It compels him to keep seeking laborers for his kingdom. His compassion compels him to keep offering to make things right. Because of his compassion... He came to that corner in the first century and he continues to come to that corner in the 21st century. He comes to that corner today. Peter expressed it this way in 2 Peter 2.8. He wrote, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And our master is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's a picture, that's a story of compassion. That's the compassion that brings our master to the street corner again and again and again and again. And the reason that we here in the 21st century can be as confident in our master's call as those in the 1st century were confident in the master's call... We're able to be confident because we know. We know that our master will keep his promises. We know that our master will make things right. We know he will reward his servants, all of his servants, the 6 a.m. servants and the 5 p.m. servants. And we can have that kind of confidence because of what our master has done See, our master has gone to great lengths. He's traveled where grace needs to go, where grace is needed. He sent his son. And Jesus took on our sin and God raised him from the dead. And sin and death were defeated. And we who have answered the master's call, we who have answered the master's call will receive the reward that we never could possibly deserve we couldn't work long enough we couldn't work hard enough 
We couldn't work under a hot enough sun to earn what our master has given us. We have a master who's different than the masters of this world. We have a master who seeks out opportunities to overpay his kingdom workers. Seeks out opportunities to overpay his kingdom workers. See, the minimum wage in our master's kingdom is eternal life. Eternal life in paradise. So like in this kingdom story, our master is different than the masters of the world. In fact, our master is the one who even suffers for our benefit. Our master suffers for the benefit of the undeserving. When you think about this story, at the end of the day, who really suffered in this kingdom story? It wasn't those grumbling 6 a.m. workers because they received exactly what they were promised. They got an honest day pay for an honest day's work. They didn't suffer. It was the master who suffered. The master suffered because he paid out much more than those workers deserved. That money came out of his pocket. That money came out of his profits. See, our master suffered on the cross by pouring out grace that none of us deserve. And he did that because our master is compassionate. Because our master loves. Because our master wants everyone on the corner to come into his kingdom. Regardless of when they answer the call. Regardless of the amount of work that they have done. See, in our master's kingdom, each and every worker, each and every one of us is loved by the master, and each one is considered by the master to be essential to his kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. We need to understand that in God's kingdom, every worker is treated unfairly. But they're treated unfairly well. They're paid unfairly well. Because in God's kingdom... We find mercy. And in God's kingdom, we find grace. And in God's kingdom, we find forgiveness. In God's kingdom, we find peace. In God's kingdom, we find rest. And in God's kingdom, we find hope. And in God's kingdom, we find life. This is a kingdom story. It's a story of amazing grace. It's a story of a God who had such compassion and such love that he comes to the corner again and again and again, seeking kingdom workers. It's this story, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. Already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is a kingdom story. This is a love story. It's a rescue story. It's a story of God's amazing grace. And isn't it remarkable that it's our story? We've been called off the corner to God's kingdom so that we can receive his amazing grace. And I want you to know, if you're still standing on that corner, it's not too late to answer the master's call. It's not too late to answer the master's call and join with us, the redeemed, as we sing, 
of our God and we sing of his amazing grace. Let's sing together. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.